Welcome to episode 93. This is the 2020 Yuletide episode. This is Svein in Norway. I'm here with Tom in America. How are you, Tom? I am good. Good to see everyone uh, with my ears again. Yes. What the hell did that mean? I don't even know what that meant. That that gives you an impression of how I'm doing. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Good, good. Try, trying to get in the Yuletide spirit this year. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough year. Yeah, that's no uh, overstating it, I think. Uh, at least we, we made it to the Yuletide episode. And that in itself is kind of a victory because as I alluded to on um, on the, the Facebook page, for a while it looked like there wouldn't be a Yuletide episode. And this is the latest we have ever recorded a Yuletide episode. This is, as we record this, December 23rd. And we have never not already released a Yuletide episode any other year <laughs> by this time. So this <laughs> yes. is, maybe we should call it a, a New Year's Tide or something. But it, it, it'll definitely come out the week between Christmas and New Year, but that's fine. It's it's still the Yule season. It is. It is. It's still the Yule season. And we had to just say, you know what? We need to do this episode. We need to do it for, for the people who expect it every year for ourselves. So we're not necessarily starting in the in the greatest frame of mind, but we're going to jump into things. And who knows? Maybe by the end of this episode, we will be very jolly, like the jolly old elf himself. Yeah, this this is our last ditch. You know, we need to get into the Yuletide spirit. And this episode has sometimes helped in the past recording such a thing. So maybe this will help the, this year too. Maybe we'll be worse off. <laughs> is, 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 is talking to Thomas Kirchival going to be inducive to getting in the Yuletide spirit? We'll see. <laughs> we don't, and similar for you. Don't know. No. Like, like you said, we, we have had better years than, than we've had now, but we made it to the Yuletide and we are here now. And I thought the natural way to start this thing is to look back at what we did last year. And I'm thinking specifically of how we ended last year's Yuletide. We were looking ahead to 2020. Which seems like a joke now, right? <laughs> we we were looking ahead and thinking, what can we look forward to in the coming year? And there were four things we listed. And I thought, why don't we just look at our hopes and dreams at the end of 2019 and see how that worked out for us? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got to laugh, right? Well, one of those things actually happened. One actually happened? Yeah, one of those things. What, did, we talk about the un- did we talk about a worldwide plague hitting the earth? Uh, we did talk about uh, the WKW people wearing masks. Yes. That was okay. as close to it as we came, I think. And we, we have talked in the past about how that makes you profits. So maybe I'll look to you guys for wisdom of uh, of the coming year. But uh, the thing that actually happened was Big Country playing America. Yes, that was great. And um, I was lucky enough to see them in March of, the, of uh, 2020, shortly before all this stuff hit. And we talked about it on the show, I believe. Yeah. Um, so I won't divulge or, or go back into all that stuff and revisit that. But it, it was an interesting time it, because you could see that the the plague, the, the pandemic was, was on the horizon. It was creeping ever closer. It was. It was creeping ever closer and um, it made all the more evident by when I – and I said this on the show. When I stretched out my hand to shake Mark Brzezicki's hand, he like said, no, no, no. He gave me his elbow. He said, I'm not shaking hands anymore. Forget it. <laughs> and he was a very smart man. And uh, that's that's where we all are now. So uh, I, I wish I had audio. I've been looking for it, but I, I wish I had audio of that show 
in New York because um, I remember Bruce delivering a very blistering fuck COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck this COVID shit. Something like that. And uh, that that would be a great soundbite to have. But um, would you call it a rant? No, it was it was not a rant. It was uh, an expletive. It was a it was a brief expletive laden (laughs) um, comment. Right. Yeah. And uh, and there was like one more show after that for them. Maybe two. I can't remember. I know they did the cruise ship, but um, yeah. Yeah. And then that was it. Yeah. The cruise ship has got to be the last one until now. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no, that was um, that one barely kind of squeaked in, I think. Oh, they were lucky to get out of that cruise ship. Oh uh, man, yeah. I mean, when they were even playing in New York and all those places, I mean, from my vantage point, we had already shut down, and most of Europe had shut down, and every yeah. country eastward of here had definitely shut down. So uh, I know UK was seen as being very late in uh, certainly in Europe. And as far as the Americas, they were definitely later in general than than Europe. But uh, yeah, that was kind of spooky. And I saw band members post selfies from the plane on the way home. And I'm thinking, geez, sitting in those tins of sardines with other people, this this is not good. But everybody did make it home safely. And that's really all that counts. But that was really sort of edge of the cliff stuff (laughs) as far as getting home in time. It truly was. So... That was one thing on our list, and I, I'm sure another thing on our list was the – not to jump ahead, but was the ball mule celebration that we were hoping to have in April. Yeah. I mean in, in 19, the thing I wanted to do for 19 was to see big country, and that happened. So the thing that was happening in 20 was that you and I would meet, and along with several other fans, of course, in, in ball mule. And that, that would have been awesome, but uh, – you know, the less said, the better. I think we already cried about that too on the show in a previous episode. And then in uh, in May and June, they were having four dates, big country in uh, Scandinavia, which didn't happen. Yep. So that's also that's very sad for me. That that definitely was uh, in the depths of lo- lockdown. These dates have been rescheduled. As of now, they are uh, put in April 21. But uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, going to be far enough into the future for that to, to happen. That's a, uh, Personally, I think even with vaccines, I don't see the world being normal until 22. And I've said that for some time, and that's just how I feel because, uh, you know, people being people, everybody's not going to take the vaccine. And even if you take it, they're, they're, you can't just go on as normal right from the start. You need to still get rid of it. So I think you know, 21 will be a shakedown. I think it will be worse before it gets better, but now we're getting into soothsaying, and we'll leave that to WKW. <laughs> well, we have talked about, if we if we do do a new album, we have talked about a cover, and that is uh, going to be us with um, uh, In Cages. And uh, we're going to be in cages and t- uh, totally nude, and behind us will be new uh, alien overlords who have enslaved uh, WKW and the entire human race. So that's just something that popped into our head in a dream, much like the masks thing. So uh, <laughs> just, just be wary of that. I'll be ready to send you uh, a capture of myself dressed as an alien overlord that you can use when you put that picture together. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So these were the things that we were looking ahead to in, in 2020. So yeah, you got the visit in America. That, that's good. But uh, there's been no more shows. 
But there's been a few releases, so we thought uh, we we do have a little tradition for some Yuletides, at least some Yuletides ago, that we look at the new releases for the year. And it's not been many, but uh, some of them were significant. And I'm talking about the Buffalo Skinner's Deluxe Edition, Out Beyond the River, which, uh, of course, you bought that, Tom. Of course I did, immediately. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> you weren't going to just let that go, were you? No. <laughs> it's it's almost fun. Whenever we talk about new releases, occasionally you will have picked one up. But uh, no, well. I haven't bought it yet. I, I, I do plan to buy it. I probably better get on it and buy it. I have not bought it yet. Um I just uh, I, I probably the fact that I've heard every pretty much everything on it, and I, I do have I have heard everything that's on the the box set, and um, I I think it's a beautiful package, and I want to have that. Uh, I just haven't gotten around to doing it yet, and that, and that speaks a lot to, to to who I am as a as a quote unquote collector. I to me it's it's just about the music, and if there's new music that I don't have, then count me in immediately. But if it's something that I already have. I probably still will get it at some point, but it's not something that I will rush out right. and and grab up. And uh, a lot of people are like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if it hadn't been for 2020 being the way it was, I probably would have bought it already. But just so many other things have been happening, I just hadn't gotten around to it. So, yeah, yeah. thanks, thanks for shaming me. Oh, you're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Uh, I have a couple more, but we'll save those for later. But uh, as as we'll get into this thing, uh, th- there are a couple of things that you actually can't get anywhere else uh, on uh, in physical form. So we'll point that out because this is a question that many people have asked. Is there anything new on this? There are reason that I absolutely need to pick it up beyond having everything in one place and all of that stuff. So there's a, there's a couple of things. Six discs, five uh, CDs plus one DVD. The original plan for the box set was four CDs and one DVD. And Cherry Red actually had to be convinced to add an extra disc. And the extra disc we got that wasn't there in the first draft was the demos. There was actually an attempt made to uh, add some B-side live tracks, but BBC asked a little too much in licensing fees, so that didn't happen. But uh, what Cherry Red wanted was a 1 to 12 matching set of demos sort of matching the album right like you usually do you have the album in in track order with the demo versions of all the songs on the album Uh, the problem was since two songs came from no place like home they didn't have demos for them in the buffalo skinners uh, sessions so what they wanted to do was to put the no place like home demos of ships and kansas instead which we already have and uh, that was expressed to Cherry Red, that that was perhaps not the best way to do it, and fans would probably be a little disappointed in that. So this is when John came then and told them that there is a monitor mix for these songs from uh, the recording of of uh, of Skinner's, and those could be considered perhaps demo versions of sorts, and it uh, definitely offers something unreleased for the set. So he got in touch with Andy. Inkster, the king of the Bogans, who reached out to Colin Berwick, who played keyboards on the Buffalo Skinners. He lives in Australia, as most of us know, and he did clean dat rips. And uh, he, because he played on these, so he had the dat rips and he was able to provide them. 
so high sound quality. So he had those two songs, Ships and Kansas, and he also had Rockin' in the Free World, which, which was a B-side. So he provided that just because he had it. So those three tracks that Colin Berwick played on were provided, and that mm. fit perfectly. So for Kansas and Ships, we got two things that aren't available anywhere else in those two songs, plus uh, plus Rockin' in the Free World monitor mix. So those are at least unique to the package. So yeah. there you go. Uh, and, uh, and, and in great quality. And how much of a step up is that compared to what could have been with the No Place Like Home demos? Yeah, that's a big step up. That, that's great that Colin was able to do that um, and, and provide those. He's always been very selfless in, in those types of things. He's a great guy, very talented guy, and um, yeah, and a very kind person. So for him, I don't know what, you know, I don't know if they gave him anything for that. I'm assuming they probably didn't, but they might have. Who knows? But either way. Very cool of him to provide those for us. That yeah. was something that made it worthwhile. Any anything that you see, you know, that is new in, in any stretch, uh, like a monitor mix. That's that's that makes it worthwhile. So that's great. Glad Jerry Red went to the extra effort to do that. I think they agreed to do it because it was no extra effort for them. These things were provided to them through uh, fan interaction and networking. So I think we should thank uh, John. We should thank Andy, and we should thank Colin for being the chain that pulled up these things from the depths of Colin Berwick's uh, digital collection. Right, without a doubt. Those guys are the true heroes. But you know, they but Cherry Red, Cherry Red 2 could have said, uh, we're not going to bother. We already have this." But yeah. Yeah, because they do have to then master them and figure out figure out how they're going to sit in the compilation and maybe do some things to them. So it wasn't like they had to do nothing. But no, yeah, no, but, John but, and all those guys, they they definitely came through. So thank you guys for advocating on behalf of big country fans. Yes, definitely. Uh, making the, the set a bit more interesting than it could have been. There was an argument made for even a further disc with instrumentals. There there are instrumentals for all the songs, or most of the songs, on uh, Buffalo Skinners, but that was a definite no-go. Uh, that would make it a seven-disc set, and that was felt to be a little bit extravagant. So uh, what we have is... Is this uh, and just a word on the, on the track listing? We have uh, disc one. The only real choice is being considered here was the original 1993 track list, like they did with the uh, Long Face, or the 2005 remastered tracks. And uh, they went with the 2005 tracks, which has a number of songs tacked on after the album, specifically the one I love, uh, US Mix, Never Take Your Place, East World, and the demo of Buffalo Skinners. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a hodgepodge. The argument was made to go with that to make room for other things elsewhere. I don't know if that is how it worked out in the end, but uh, that is why those things are there. There was also stuff tacked onto Without the Head of a Safety Net Disc 2, which was justified with, they had done the same with the Eclectic, where you had a normal Eclectic CD plus some other things tacked on, but actually Cherry Red did not go for that. About the Without the Head of a Safety Net Two CD set, it's good to have that in print again, the full show. There's actually a tidbit there that's worth mentioning, and this is uh, John is proud that his site is the only place that you have ever been able to find this info, and that is that one song is actually not from the Glasgow Barrowlands 29th of December 1993. It comes from the Aberdeen show on the 31st, mm. and that is Fields of Fire. 
This has never been acknowledged in any liner notes. It's never been acknowledged on the official site. Uh, it's only on John's site. And the only way we know this fact, that that track, Fields of Fire, isn't from the same show as all the others, is that Gordon Smith specifically remembers that the band did not play Fields of Fire on the 29th. Oh, that's a rarity in and of itself that they didn't play that. Yeah, really. They, they for, for some reason. And, and who knows why they didn't play it. There is a recording from the next uh, night, the 30th, in Newcastle. And they did play Fields of Fire on that evening, but that's not the one you have on the without the end of a safety net, which leaves Aberdeen on the uh, 31st. So um, it's a little tidbit, and it's not uh, even written in this thing. So uh, John was proud at, yep, his site is correct. So we'll give him <laughs> that one. Thank you, John. For, for correcting job. everybody in the big country job, universe. John. Yes, good job, John. I can't imagine that there's another band out there with, with such a depth of knowledge about all this minutia. Yeah. Than big country and namely John Gouveia for keeping abreast of all this stuff. So that's pretty cool. There are some fan sites. Uh, there are some bands that have their own Johns. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to Arlen uh, a month ago and he was in mourning because you too had such a fan site that had closed its door after years and years. I think something had happened on, on the legal side. Uh, who knows if it was the band or the record company or someone getting in touch with them, but they had to suddenly shut down and they were gone. And he was totally devastated. And that's kind of probably how big country fans would feel that what if John's site suddenly disappears? It's gone. A lot of info just lost in the sand. That, that, that's uh, something I'd rather not think about. Well, we all know John has many backups. <laughs> but it might not in be the online. dark web. He's, he's very active on the dark web. Yeah. Do we want to out him on that? Not yet. No. He still, he still provides the uh, hosting of the show, so let's just wait until we end this show. Then we can have yeah. uh, Behave, John. Go back. Or the last episode yeah. will be very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, you know, you, you mentioned, um, just real quick, you, you mentioned Andy Inkster there earlier, and I just wanted to give a huge shout-out to Andy, too, because um, he's been releasing some great videos, and and you've been a part of that, too, in, in some of those things. Again, I don't want to jump too far ahead of what you might be thinking of doing, but, um, you know, we've had some great video releases of things never before seen in 2020, so that's good. Most recently, Andy released uh, on the Great Divide page, which was incredibly kind of him um big country pink pop performance in the Nether netherlands in from june 11th 1984 complete video show yeah. i'd never seen that before i don't know who he he's released um a new jersey show from the buffalo skinners uh, not from the buffalo skinners from the crossing tour in 83 audio only but uh, and then you you would work with him i believe or someone to release a, an eclectic show that had never before been seen so Lots of cool video stuff from the archives popping up that's really fun to watch. I mean, just when I think everything that we could possibly see has been exhausted, something new pops up like this. So I uh, just want to thank Andy and everyone else responsible for releasing these because it really does mean a lot to all of us. And um, it's just great to see new stuff after all these years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I have to thank uh, Robert O'Neill in Ireland because he was the one who uh, sent me the show that I was able to share. And we had a viewing party, actually. That was um, August 96. It was a show from the Eclectic Tour. And how many of us have seen actual shows from the Eclectic Tour? I've never seen one outside of Eclectic itself. 
Right. I've heard maybe a few, but uh, he videotaped it. He was standing under an umbrella that his wife was holding up, and <laughs> they they managed to tape it. and And that was just awesome that it sort of emerged after all these years. And that's that's all thanks to him that we were able to share it. So, yep. um, these things are awesome. The fact that they can happen. So we should take that with us. That happened in god awful 2020. Yeah. See, we're already trying to find some positive things here. We we try. <laughs> we sometimes succeed <laughs> and that, that was nice that was that was awesome so thank you for that robert uh, again yes thank you robert now so the buffalo skinners deluxe edition was great and then we had a well i'll just call it a funny release the essential collection did you buy that one uh no no and this is one <laughs> where you are kind of you, you should be uh, praised for that because i supported that monstrosity it's basically the second three CD big country collection with Essential in the title in three years. So uh, we, we already have Wonderland, the Essential Big Country, in uh, 2017. And then again, Essential Big Country, which came out this summer. And uh, there's quite a bit of overlap. These two sets have 29 songs in common. They have uh, 18 songs that are unique to uh, the Wonderland one. And 16 songs that are unique to the new one. Eight of those, however, are variant versions, which means remixes, extended versions, single versions. So there's not that many unique songs. But generally, the Wonderland uh, release has more B-sides and album tracks, whereas the new one has less B-sides, but more of the remixes and extended and single versions. So I I don't necessarily see that as an improvement from a playability perspective it might be a little bit more desirable from a collect uh, kind of view but uh, it did um, do a little chart action here Uh, essential big country peaked at number 23 in the official uk album charts believe it or not and the most remarkable thing is that this is big country's first uk top 30 chart placement in 27 years the last one was through a big country (laughs) that is amazing wow yeah that is nice actually so so this one did better than the one three years ago i think just the power of social media and online purchasing came through and also pre-purchasing it plus the fact that it was readily available in stores all over uk i seem to see people saying all the time yeah it was available for a fiver in my local saintsbury or (laughs) whatever they call those stores so it just seemed to all combine to to giving it a peak and so I can't slam it, really. It's nice to see Big Country in the UK charts again. I wish perhaps it had been a more exciting release, but uh, the fact that they're there at all is, is very nice to see. Yes, and, and it also, you know, not to take away from that accomplishment because it's it's great, but it also does tell you about the state of the charts these days. You know, that it, it doesn't take much sales to get into, into the charts, uh, and that, that's true here in America, and it's true everywhere. So, you know... So you're seeing a lot. You're seeing that more nowadays. I've noticed that that bands that have been around for a long time seem to be getting back into the charts occasionally, um, more than you would you would think that they would. Yes, I think that's part of the reason. I think even and this is a completely different universe with Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, which is one of the biggest selling albums of all time. But I believe that even made it back into the charts recently because of some viral video that younger people were were watching that had one of the tracks from rumors on it and that made it made it back into the charts maybe even top 10 i don't know i can't remember for sure but uh yeah yeah it just takes a it just takes a little shot of sales to get you in those charts 
yeah, all you need is to have a song featured on a TV show. And then hordes of millennials hear the song for the first time and flock to it. Right. Yes, so we we come to the third release, and I'm calling it release. I mean, the third of the new things that appear this year that we have deemed fit to to summarize in this Yuletide. And that is quite new, and it's seasonal, and it's the first Christmas song, a bona fide Christmas song in the Big Country family, and that's Skids Christmas in Fife. Tom, tell us all about it. <laughs> well, first of all, you should have first heard that. First of all, I will tell that uh, I sent you the link before we connected, and that was the first time you heard it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, which is good because it's fresh on my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very fresh on my mind. Um, yeah, it, it just, again, this is one of those things that went out to people who were a part of the Skids live stream for, for Richard Jobson's 60th birthday. Um, also included in that was the Skids version of I Want to Be Your Dog, uh, an Iggy Pop song from yeah, years back. Yeah, the Stooges. Yeah, the Stooges. That was, that was a great version. I thought that they did. Uh, for some reason, the Christmas in Fife, well, not for some reason. I had just been going through a lot of different things. And the Christmas in Fife thing uh, just escaped me. I saw it pop up, and then it just, just went over my head. But it's fine. reminded me of it this morning and, and uh, needed, to, needed to hear it. So... I did, and uh, it, it was great. I loved it, especially the the opening guitar part, which is just so yeah. fantastic to hear. We wish you a merry Christmas, done in that great skids guitar fashion. <laughs> I mean, and then we've got the the funny funny lyrics from Richard and little nods to to people in the band like Bruce. And um, there's a line in there about a, a guy named John who realized he was a woman. Yeah, is is that is that J F and G possibly? But he, he said that the person has long, really long flowing hair, so maybe not. Maybe that's yeah, not JFG. That truly can't be it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the song the song actually has more in common with uh, the skids of the joy period. With the, if you take out the guitars, it's it's more of that folksy type of feel. And there's a little bit of Pogues type of feel in it as well, really, in in just the structure of the song. Yeah, you're you're thinking of the accordion, aren't you? Yeah, that accordion especially, which I'm assume I'm assuming was played by Liam, who is uh, a guy that has played keyboards with the Skids, and um, he is listed in the credits on this as well, and he's done a lot of production for them. Um, so I'm assuming that's probably him playing that. great i i like it it was it was a fun fall christmas song so i'm, I'm glad i re- i discovered it <laughs> and rediscovered it yeah exactly no i think that's exactly how to to summarize it it's a fun christmas song so um, i it wouldn't work uh, in summertime <laughs> but christmas songs never do you know it's a it's something you take out to to feel a little festive about it and i think it's fun i think it's fun when bands play christmas songs that uh, you don't necessarily expect 
And I'm I'm even one of those who play the Twisted Sister Christmas album and enjoy it mm-hmm. a lot. And that uh, doesn't work in summertime either. But when it's Christmas, you you can bring out things like these, and uh, that's uh, it. It just falls into that tradition, and I'm just happy to have a Christmas song that uh, we all now can flock around and and play and feel festive about. I agree. It was a it was a nice effort, and um, and yeah. The uh, the Stooges track was was really good too. So we'll look forward to when their uh, their covers album comes out. Yeah, they're working on it. Yeah. Merry Christmas, punk rockers. Okay, so that was a couple of the things that happened this year. That came out, new music, or at least new presentations of music, <laughs> in the case of Essential Big Country. You just mentioned the, the, the Skids cover album. That's definitely one thing we look forward to. I think we know about that, though. And I have two news items that people may not know about. So I'm going to bring these to the show, one of which is The Marriage, the band of Kirsten Adamson and Dave Byrne. I actually spoke to them to a deep dive on their album, Imagining Sunsets, not for the podcast, but for the website, Rocking in the Northlands. And that was put up today, so it's very fresh. And uh, there is a section in that interview where we touched on where they might be going from here. So I thought we would just play that snippet for you now. Uh, We didn't particularly record that conversation for podcast use, and the audio is not really... uh, up to scratch all the time. There are a few dropouts and things, but uh, I think it's good enough, This, at least this piece, that uh, it can be used. I was talking uh, to them about Box and Burn It, the last track on the album, which sounds different than uh, the rest. It's a full production. It has electric guitar. It has drums, whereas the rest of the album is very acoustic-based. So I was talking to them about that and how they, uh, if they had any, not necessarily concerns, but if they thought about uh, putting a song that sounds so different on the album. And uh, that led us to talking about how they might be sounding from here on out. So we'll play this one, and it might be interesting for you. Were you, uh, well, concerned is the wrong word, but did you think about how well it fit with the other songs? It's it's clearly different. No, we didn't worry too much. Um. <laughs> like what we kind of do say about the production and that being different is that it might have, um, you know, given people an idea as to what's to come next from us. Because it's just the two of us, right? And I think really we've, like, we're in the, the, the position where we can sort of do whatever we want. You know, it doesn't have to be just us. It can, it can be other people that, that aren't necessarily a part of the band member. I think, like, I think the next stuff that we put out will definitely be more of a full band vibe um but the 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 duo has has worked for us um for the past couple of years and and you know i think the songs we'd written we really felt like it was a it was really about the the two of us you know yeah and and i think like maybe the next stuff that we go on to record maybe more of a fuller production um and i think that's why we thought box and barnet would maybe allude to something bigger happening yeah, I think in in future as well. I think what we're going to do in future, like that, we we sing a lot of the songs just together all the way through. 
we did that on purpose because that's how we've done it you know like we had you know when it's just the two of us and we're trying to make a good show you know back in the days when you did actually play live i think you know there was a hit there's something hypnotic about the way we sing together and um and people like that but i think moving forward i think we're going to do quite a lot more sort of you know like taking verses on our own so people can kind of hear our own voices at times as well and then the harmony is more of a sort of you know like a, a sound that we come to in like the choruses or you know we, we're going to use our harmonies a bit a bit more sparingly i think yeah i mean we're still going to harmonize all the time but you know not not yeah, every single bit of the song. Either from the start to the end of of, a, of every song mm. yeah yeah it is what makes you you but uh, you uh, you have definitely have many more things you can explore within that yeah we think we've done we we've definitely drawn a line under this like folk duo you know we've mm, done right. that and yeah. we've i think we're both we're both satisfied that we've done a good job of doing that on, on record now mm. yeah so you know it's quite quite and we've been meaning to do that for quite a while so it's, yeah, it's pretty exciting to think what we're going to do next we don't know <laughs> we don't know i think we want to you know collaborate with other musicians on on whatever we come up with next so mm. i mean th th this this year for me and kirsten um it was hard enough it's been very hard being in a band in a band with each other when we live in different countries and we both have lives and responsibilities and stuff you know work and whatever yeah. you know um you know you know how it is for musicians it's not like we right you, you know it's it's, it's it's there isn't really much of a support network for for musicians really you, you know you, you do have to kind of you know you're spared you know this is what we do this is you know what we do when we have spare time is we find out ways of making our art and um this year's been incredibly difficult to yeah. try and do it and um i guess we're just looking forward to you know hopefully that um hopefully if the world gets back to some sort of normality next year we you know that it'll be exciting to actually figure out what our next step is what the next album is going to be like and you know that kind of stuff yeah be fun people are waiting just as much as you for that to happen i think uh, people miss you oh, yeah. <laughs> so so have you, you haven't written yeah. any songs for future projects yet that's what you're saying you're, you're excited to see where it takes no, we, but you don't know yet we have written quite a few songs um but we just it's more about where we're we are not sure about what the production is going to be but um but yeah we've 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 got a handful of songs kind of almost finished yeah that's it's that seems to be the best way we work is we um <laughs> We, we bring our half finished songs, you know, right. Yeah. And that, that's, that's generally where it goes. There are times when we just start fresh and like nothing, you know, but, um, but I, yeah. think, I think one of the tunes we, we wrote from, from scratch that didn't come from an idea was worse or better. Yeah, that's true. That's probably the lot. Yeah. That was from just from scratch. Um, you know, didn't come from our, voice notes on the phone <laughs> right. actually, quite, a, quite a few actually coming to think of it quite a few songs on imagining sunsets actually were written from by scratch actually diamonds was written from scratch as well i think yeah right enough and yeah. and it's too late to cry about it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly 
so there we have it. Uh, we don't have a release date necessarily, but uh, it could be interesting to listen to a more fully produced uh, album from The Marriage. Yes, and I, I agree. And I, I do have The Marriage album. That's why I didn't ask you. <laughs> I did buy that because that's new music and, and I wanted to support that. Actually, I know that Joni bought that. Yes, well, you know, <laughs> it was probably my money. So <laughs> Yeah, well, okay, I'll ease off. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, good on you. That's an album that you should have, and everybody should have. And I, I hope uh, people pick him up because, like, um, like Dave said at the end, there, this has been a tough year, not just for them, but for any artist. And um, you know, if you have liked any of their songs, pick it up if you uh, if you think you like it. I, I think you would like it. I think it's uh, really impressed me. Me too. And I, I know I've always been impressed by Kirsten's stuff, and, and Dave as well. My gosh, that guy is. You know, I, I look at him and I, I I look at his guitar playing ability. I look at his vocal ability, and 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 the same holds true for Kirsten. And and this has nothing to do with her being Stu- Stuart Adamson's daughter. I mean, she is just both of those guys are just amazingly talented people. I mean, on another level, really, than than most people that you see. And um, from a songwriting perspective, from their vocals, which are just practically flawless, it's it's amazing to me that. Yeah, probably in another time, an earlier time, these two would have been huge, and, and yeah. maybe maybe even household names. I don't know. I'm not going to necessarily go that far, even though they should be, but certainly should be able to make a living, a good living, making music. And uh, unfortunately, because of the environment we live in these days, uh, with with music being so disposable and and difficult for artists to to really sell, especially when they can't go out and tour and play it. It just makes that so, so, so difficult. But I, I got to say, if, if you've been paying attention to Kirsten especially over the last year, she to me is an example of an artist who is really handling this whole COVID thing in just a really great way. I mean, she has done so much to make herself more known. In fact, I've, I've seen more of her during this period than ever before. Um, she yeah. Yeah, she's she's done all of these live stream shows. That's what she began doing, which were beautiful, wonderful shows that were great to watch. And then she sort of started her own um, site or her own, where you you pay a certain amount to be able to see more um, exclusive type things, which I, I hope has worked out well for her. It seems like it has from what I've seen. She's gotten a lot of views and a lot of people um, watching her stuff. And then she's been doing things where she puts out what she calls a song of the week and. Um, that's usually voted on by people who watch her performances and then she publicly releases one of the songs. And yeah, not, not surprisingly, many of those songs of the week turn out to be her renditions of big country songs. Um, but there have been some just wonderful versions of some of these old classic tracks and not to take anything away from her own songs because those are also just great in my opinion. Um, but as, Obviously, for someone with the with the big country connection that we all have, uh, just to hear her performing her father's songs, and many of which are, are rare, and it's interesting to see what she pulls out. And most recently, she just put up uh, her version of the second time around on her song of the week, which yeah. is a very rare, maybe one of the most rare big country tracks out there. And most people have become aware of it by now, um, but for a long time that wasn't even known that that existed. Um, so really cool to hear her do that. I've heard her do 
what I thought was an incredible version of the Seer with a with a full band. Mm. Um, and um, that that she put. Have you heard that? Yes. Yeah, it's it's lovely. Uh, it's great. She does these things that we don't really expect, but you know, by now we we come we, we have come to expect them. So when she did second time around, it was almost a case of of course, of course, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, she she is digging deep, and she, but that's because the the boats are digging deep. She's she's getting boats from people, and um, you know, people must be getting aware of that song, like you said, because it it is a result of winning a vote. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and and she does just wonderful versions of them, and pays great tribute to to her father as you would expect but um yeah but yeah so i think she's doing a great job trying to keep herself out there in in this in this environment and uh, i hope that i hope that she's doing well with it um and i hope the marriage you know does well with what they release it's it's so hard to predict these days because it's just music just doesn't really sell much anymore um especially yeah. cds and and the hard copies of of music and um so who knows but all that said it's a great album, and uh, I'm really glad you got the chance to speak with them so in depth. I haven't read your article yet because it just popped up today, so I'm going to look forward to reading that after we're done. Um, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's great that you were finally able to connect with them, and and it was a very easy experience from what I understand. <laughs> well, we we took some while to get there. It, it was done in uh, in spurts. We we had the first chat in uh, middle of September. And the last one was this week, so it's over three months we managed to to get there. But the, that just shows how busy they are. They're, they're doing so much, and in addition to launching uh, the album Imagining Sunsets now in second uh, of October, I think it came out. Kirsten's been putting out her solo singles, and and Dave is involved in another band. So they have so many things going, and uh, they're still managing to get together and do these well-organized live streams and and trying to be out there and. It, it gets even more impressive when you think that this isn't their main job. They, they have a day job, so they can afford to have this as a hobby. Uh, and um, that is why, if we like this thing, it's important to support it. So I'm going to do the double plug now. Over Christmas, I recommend that you go to Rocking in the Northlands and read the article on The Marriage Imaginary Sunsets. It's this year's deep dive. We didn't do one on the podcast, but... Uh, Rocking in the Northlands is the written version of the podcast. At least sometimes it, we, we can call it that. And there's your deep dive. And it's a worthy album to do one on. Nice. I look forward to that. Yeah. So if people haven't checked out The Marriage, maybe we'll help them along a little bit. We, we have played them in the episode in the past. But uh, as you know from uh, me, I, I'm interested in the stories behind the songs. And I always think that if you tell people about the song... That reigns them in as much as almost playing the music because you get interested in the story. So we will share one more glimpse of something from the chat I had with Kirsten and Dave. And uh, one of the stories was real funny. And that is the story about one of the last tracks on the album. It's called Too Late to Cry About It Now. It's a very interesting song. It's all different from... uh, very different from the other songs in the way that it is very simple and it has a strum that goes through it, like dum, 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 almost like a southern U.S. dirge-style slow blues. And uh, we started talking about that, and that was a fun conversation. So maybe we'll we'll give you that one as well. Merry Christmas. Too late to cry about it. This yeah. fascinates me. I think... Um, the droning strum that you start yeah. with and that just go dum, 
stardom. It it really fascinates me. It defines the song so strongly musically. And I I think of Southern US style dirges or the old blues yeah. men are tapping into that. Is that something that was on your mind or that you thought of as you put it together? I remember when we wrote this, Dave, and I was sitting in my living room in Edinburgh. You were there and we were we were a little bit tipsy. No, I'd say this is the drunkest song. <laughs> a little bit tipsy. <laughs> this is the drunkest bit, song we've ever written. We were a bit called... drunk and... Um, and and basically, I I started playing the guitar, and I could only play one note because I think I was so drunk. Only <laughs> 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 we ended up keeping because we liked it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it so works. It really does. It gives the song well, that something was it. very unique. That was exactly it. When we came to play it, we we just we ended up being like, it's it's not. I think we tried just playing it we normally. Tried. Nice. Yeah, we tried. Play it like nice chords, and we're like, this just doesn't. It's missing sound. something. Drunk. Yeah. We went back to the video. I think I videoed Kirsten. I think we were going to video it and stick it on Instagram. But I think there was like, I don't know. I think it was like uh, uh, food on the lens or something. And like it was the lens was blurred as well. And, and um and 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 I cut yeah, and that was all we got. And I think. So that- and that guitar bit that we'd originally that I had sat and played. Yeah, uh, I remember I was just sitting on my computer chair, like swinging around and drunk, playing, yeah. strumming the guitar. <laughs> yeah. Good times, and, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I, I, I think we wrote all the lyrics that night. So basically, yeah, we did. That, yeah. that song is. I mean, I think we were originally going to call it "Too Drunk," but we thought, "Nah, fuck that." Yeah. Well, <laughs> um. <laughs> Basically, whatever that song is about, I think your guess is as good as ours, really. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably have no idea what that song is about. <laughs> I think we was, do you know what? I think that there was a bit of a piss take. Like we were having fun with it because I remember, like, we were thinking, like, let's, I think we did think at the time, I'm sure remembering that. Let's make it like the guy is, you know, like so, yeah, like, just. Sad that he can't open his eyes anymore. <laughs> it's just all the cliches like pizza boxes, he's fucking mm. cars totally screwed, just like classic country fucking. Yeah, like, but, real, like, yeah, like you say, cliche, like he just can't even open his eyes. He's, he's, he's basically bed bound with heartache. Yeah. Imagine, if imagine if Will Ferrell, you know, Anchorman guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. The, the actor. Imagine he did a film about a country star or a cut like a guy who's like broken up and like his life's he's total alcoholic mess. Like this would be him. This would be. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I mean it. It really works. I mean this song gloriously wallows in in self pity, and it reminds me again of that old bluesman approach, like the car's too hot and the sun's too bright and I'm too drunk and I have no phone and it's too freaking late to cry about it now. You know, it's just piling yeah. it on. And and like those old blues songs, if one thing is wrong, everything is wrong. So if my baby yeah, has exactly. me, then everything else is wrong too. So it 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 falls into that tradition, whether you meant to or not. No, we definitely meant to, and it was meant to be a little bit shit yeah. as well. That was um, Joe Harvey White's pedal steel. That is the only other instrument on it other than Kirsten's bass and my guitar. Mm. And it, what's great about it is it just adds a quality to the song. I think like suddenly it's like it takes it into this place where it's like you take it seriously for a second, and then <laughs> you know it goes back to being stupid again. 
I mean, that was a great finish, finishing song for the album. Um, yeah, but I don't we. I loved Box and Burn it so I much. I love it finishing, yeah. yeah but I yeah. think, like, we, we leave it off of the album. Um, but, yeah, we, we initially thought that Too Late to Cry About Now was, was a, a great finishing song. I have one more news piece, and uh, this one I don't think has been shared anywhere yet. And I have to share the background first, how I came across it. Uh, I found I was missing the first album by Dogs or Gods, or Dog, or however you want to call it. Dirty old geezers, in the, <laughs> according to Tony's book. But uh, I reached out, and I got talking to Tom Norden, who is the guitar player for that band, and the lovers of classic rock will know him from the Edgar Broughton band. So uh, when he had one and offered to get one to me, we, we got talking, asked him some questions about his previous band and, uh, and Edgar Broughton stuff that he did. And he remembered actually traveling up and down the coast of Norway in the 70s and playing uh, with that band. But he also told me a, a news piece that he was working on a new album with our friend Tony Butler. And that album is coming out tentatively. You know, things might change. But uh, as of now, it's still coming out in February. So that's very close in time. And I was just saying, whoa, a new album. And what's that like? Is it like a new dog? And no, it's it's a new project. And uh, just thought, uh, well, I think you'll like it. If you like you know, the stuff that Tony and I have been involved with before, it might be a little different than dog, but it should be interesting. So I thought, wow, that that's cool. And I hadn't seen any news about this anywhere else. And uh, this was a, a little while ago. And as we got closer now to doing this Yuletide, I thought, well, 
we have to talk about this. We have to mention this news because this is very exciting. It's something to look forward to. It's exactly what we need now. It's something to look forward to. But I still hadn't seen this news repeated anywhere else. So I reached out to Tony and I said, well, I, I talked to Tom Norden and he, he let me know. But um, I'd like you to tell me if it's okay to share it on the podcast. And I asked him that because we know from experience, Tony likes things to be the right time before he shares stuff. And I wasn't going to sort of burst their bubble or steal their thunder or come out with something that he didn't want out there, you know. So, um, and he was a little surprised. He said, oh, I didn't know you were talking with, with Tom, but he, he was okay with it. But uh, he said, yeah, you're right. I'm traditionally very cagey about releasing information about new project, but uh, I'll confirm and you can use this in the podcast that uh, Tom and I are working on a project and it's really fired both of us old men up a lot. And he uh, shared that it was kind of a personal ambition project. I got the feeling that it's not going to be necessarily as straightforward rock as we may be used to. I quote from what he said, This is a personal ambition project combined with Tom's many musical and technical talents, and it's turning into a vast ray of musical sunshine. The project is not only musical, but has a broader ambition to combine other musical genres and technologies. I will, of course, inform you of the entire concept when the music production is nearer completion. I'm hoping to have some samples ready in February to help explain the concept. So that sounds interesting. That's, um, you know, based on the people who are involved with it, I, I am interested in it. I'm waiting for it. It seems to be more than just another album. And I don't know what else that is. So he is still a little cryptic, but that's fine. We know enough now to expect something. And uh, that 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 is exciting. Yeah, that's fantastic news. It's really great. Anytime new music is coming out from anyone involved in big country, that's always great news. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed the the last dog album, so I'll definitely check this out. That's fantastic news. Good scoop. That's a that's a great divide podcast scoop right there. It, it is actually a scoop. It's not been announced anywhere else. And uh, if we can get this episode out before anyone else announces it, then uh, then it's a scoop. Someone might beat us to it, damn it. But uh, he also mentioned that he has still a personal ambition to uh, to write and represent himself musically, which is more the solo route. He's not done with that. But knowing all his health concerns, which um, has been, I think it's fair to say, more serious than most people are aware, it's great to hear that he's doing anything. That that's just uh, that's the main thing for me. He's he's working on something and uh, it's exciting him and that that's that's really all you can ask for. Yes, definitely great news to hear. So glad he's doing that. Shot! All right, so you know nothing goes better with 2020 than um, a, a good friend of ours on the show and someone we've talked about before and. That is, uh, of course, Dave Bates, a, a guy that we all appreciate and admire for his contributions. Master Bates. Yeah, exactly. Another Misty Morning Bates. You could even say that. Uh, so <laughs> he, he came back into the news a little bit, into the big country news uh, in some postings that were uh, that were put up on the Great Divide podcast page in 2020. Some interesting things, some from the past. Some from the present or more recent past uh, about his career, and, and 
we we wondered when we read some of these did did maybe we did perhaps we judge this man too harshly maybe maybe his really his only goal w- with the with the big country stuff uh, when you take into perspective um things other things he's done in his career with other bands maybe he was just really trying to get the absolute best out of them artistically uh so so we dealt we we delved into some of these things and we just wanted to sort of report back on some of the the things that we uh gleaned from some of these articles yes it actually started with someone posted uh, some clips on our facebook with uh, stories from him producing other artists and that sort of we focus always so intently on big country and what he did for that band everything he gave and uh, the results that uh, was achieved thanks to his input uh, maybe we need to take a wider look. So, to be honest, it started for me when we purchased in this household the deluxe box edition of Tears for Fears, Sowing the Seeds of Love. That is uh, one of the classic albums of the 1980s. And uh, my wife is a huge fan, and I can appreciate them too, so we got that box set. Then Jen comes over and says, are you aware that they talk about Dave Bates in this, this book in the box set? Hmm. So I end up reading this thing, and that is the first story we're going to go to as we explore what Dave Bates have contributed to to other artists. As those who follow Tears for Fairs will know, that album took a long time coming. It, it, it they spent years producing it and recording it and and putting it out. So uh, and Dave Bates was part of this thing. And there's a quote from Roland Orsabel, one of the two guys in, in Tears for Fears. And uh, it talks about when they were mixing Sowing the Seeds for Love at the end of 1988. And I quote, Dave Bascombe mixed it just before Christmas. We took it home and thought the chorus vocals were a bit loud. So we sent in the next morning, turn them down a decibel or two, and that was it. I thought it sounded amazing, absolutely amazing. It was rejected by Dave Bates, and we spent another six months on it. That's six more months in the studio based on a decision made by the record company. So now they're spending our money. The story is that when we've done all the mixing, keep sending new versions back and forth, still being rejected. At the end, Bates found the original overnight mix, as it was called, and went, that's the one. That was the one he rejected six months before. Oh, what a Bates. So that is a glimpse. And, and this comes from the guy who once described his own ears as so in tune you could use them as radars. Yes, radar to pick up crap. <laughs> now, there are many more stories about Dave Bates in, in this booklet, but I think that kind of uh, makes it sure. So this is this is quality control, making sure that you get the absolute best. And I'm sure that he came to the realization that that was the one mix after hearing that. Yeah, I thought it could be bettered but it couldn't. Let's go back to that one. Good intentions. Yeah, I, I don't buy that, <laughs> but yes. You know, it's, it's, it's to me, it probably is the case of, hey, I didn't have anything to do with that mix. It couldn't possibly be the right one. Let's, let's screw it up for the next six months and uh, make it better. And then maybe he heard that mix and didn't even realize it was the original. Who knows, but... He, he, he didn't. He, he didn't know it was the original one. Yeah, good, good radar ears there, Dave Bates. Well, uh, another example of this is um, with a band that I've, I've heard of, certainly, but I'm, I have to admit I'm not too familiar with their work, but that doesn't really matter for this purpose. But it makes me want to 
maybe go back and listen to them a little bit more after reading this. That is all, all about Eve, um, who a, a band that was also with Phonogram Records and, um, someone posted some articles, uh, or an article about them and their break with Phonogram and it has a good buddy Dave Bates mentioned in it. So let, let's see what role Dave Bates had in All About Eve. Oh yes, I'm excited. And, and them being dropped from Phonogram. Let's let's see what he did for them and and how he helped further their career. So, um, basically, we're speaking here with uh, Julianne Regan, who was the lead singer of All About Eve. And uh, I'll just read a few quotes from this. They're talking about uh, one of the albums that they did. I guess it was the last album they did with, with Phonogram. It doesn't look like the title of that album is mentioned here, so I apologize. I don't know what it is offhand. Um, but she says... She's talking about what led to their breakup uh, and how difficult it was working with Phonogram. And at one point, she was interviewed before this particular interview came out, and she basically said nothing would give her more pleasure than to get off of Phonogram um, because she said they had they had no idea how to market the band. And where have we heard that before? Um, <laughs> no idea how to market this band. So she says, well, this recession has made people there at Phonogram desperate for hits. And this was written in 1991. She goes on to say, Phonogram are pointing anyone and everyone in that direction. The last thing on our minds is a top 40 hit. We don't care if a single The Dreamer is a hit. If it is, we won't be excited. If it isn't, we won't be disappointed. Maybe Phonogram were desperate, but All About Eve never were, and therein lies the difference. On our new LP, Dave Bates, the head of A&R, and Russ Conway set themselves up as quality control committee. That was immediately like a red rag to a bull, but we couldn't not comply. So again, where have we heard that before? Uh, Dave Bates comes in, quality control, and the band feels pressured. And she says we couldn't not comply. And we've heard that from big country guys too, uh, saying that you know, what what are we supposed to do? This guy comes in, he's head of A and R with the record company. He can choose whether or not to keep them on the label, and he tells them. You got to do it this way. What are we supposed to do? We can we can argue, but eventually we have to either compromise or just do what he says. Um, and she goes on to say, they said that they wanted to hear four potential hits among the demos we recorded. Otherwise, they wouldn't give us the money to record the LP. It was fascism, complete autocracy. We had no say in the videos. We'd say we'd like to do something like the Primal Scream video, and they they'd allow us to do something like five seconds in negative. I guess she means like a negative look. And the rest of it trying to make me look like Susanna Hoffs. I mean, we could have been what they wanted us to be, but we just didn't want to play that game. So that seems very, very familiar as well. Someone coming in, Dave Bates in this case once again, and the only concern is where are the hits? Where are the hits on this album? And that that goes back again to corroborating what we always said about that that piece in our time era too, which which was right after this year, but... The demos that we've all heard from before that album, we all pretty much exclusively prefer those to what eventually ended up on the album. And that was even what happened with the Seer, taken to an ultimate level of of uh, change and marring what the original artist wanted. But, hmm. you know, we see that happening here with the Seer and Dave Bates. And we, we saw that with the way that he took the Robin Miller mix away, didn't want to use it. Wanted to add things that made the the album sound more dated. Um, we've already talked about this many many times over, so there's no reason to get into it again. <laughs> um, but it is interesting to see what Dave Bates says about this all about Eve thing because he did respond 
um, that one of the one of the interesting things is that all about Eve found some sort of mistake, really, that Phonogram had made, kind of an oversight that they had made in the uh, contract, which enabled All About Eve to have a loophole to get out of it. Um, and they were, in fact, the band was, in fact, dumped by the label. And, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but at some point they were dumped by the label, and then Dave Bates made overtures to lure the singer um, away from the band, saying they would make her a solo artist, the blah, blah, blah. So it, it really ended up destroying the band in a lot of ways. I don't know what their career was after this, but um, it certainly ended their time with Phonogram. So so Dave Bates comes, and he and he says to, to Julianne's allegations, he says, there was never any question of All About Eve remaining on Phonogram in any shape or form. The simple truth is that when the option came up, we had no intention of hanging on to the band, so we dropped them. He told the maker, only then did we offer Julianne Reagan a solo deal, which she declined. It's true that All About Eve left the company owing three quarters of a million pounds. And let's face it, any band in that situation who claims they aren't interested in having hits has to be mad. You'd think they'd be only too pleased to go top 40 in order to alleviate some of their debts. Uh, he goes on to talk about theirs is a very bitter interpretation of standard procedure. Whenever a band is about to record an album, the A&R department are inclined to listen to the demos in order to get some idea of whether the album to be recorded will be a commercial viability. There's nothing sinister in any of this. All About Eve have been dropped, and that's that. This all just sounds like sour grapes to me. So, yeah, that, that says a lot, doesn't it? I mean, it all coincides with what happened with The Seer and then what eventually happened with Peace in Our Time. What Spine just talked about with Tears for Fears, which of course actually was a success, uh, thanks to their original mix of that 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 album. Yeah, he had nothing really to do with it, and but, right. but he he tried to make an imprint, but uh, it didn't work. It, it's kind of if you look at it in big country terms, that's comparable to him declining the Robin Miller mix, working half a year on a new mix, and then coming back and saying, "Oh, the Robin Miller one was the was the best one after all," which sadly didn't happen. That, that's one where right. that should have happened. Exactly. And, and, you know, when you when you talk about these things, you do have to always remember it, it is a business. It, obviously, it's a business. People's lives and livelihoods, especially back then, were dependent in many cases on whether an album was going to be successful. Of course, the band wanted success. Um, and Big Country has said as much. Of course, they wanted hits. But you have to you have to ask yourself, too, at, at what cost would a hit be? We've seen so many examples of of. Um, People like Dave Bates coming into a situation to get that immediate hit or airplay, but so rarely does that ever lead to anything long term for a band. In fact, I would argue that with Big Country, that whole meddling in the seer and the more we've learned about that over the years really led to what happened again with Peace in Our Time, which was the death knell of the band in many respects to a huge swath of fans across the world. And Again, something we've always talked about, but so many people that I know who, who said, oh, I used to love Big Country, they would all often point to Peace in Our Time as being what they heard that made them totally tune out. So yeah. very rarely does this thing work in the long term. And um, I think we see you have to have a good balance. You obviously have to think about what's going to be popular, what's going to be successful, but you cannot you cannot um, – completely sacrifice your own values and your own vision for what you want your music to be. And it's clear that Dave Bates couldn't give a, a crap about any of that. 
with these artists with all with all about Eve with with big country especially um and you know with, with all the things that we've seen about Stuart's quotes in the past we we can see that verified you know he felt like his music was diluted he would often use that word diluted and that was very hurtful to him and that, that's a pain that people like Dave Bates can cannot understand and um you know there's a reason that big country was was successful in the beginning there's a reason that that their pure the pure form of their music struck a chord with people the the answer to to bringing them back up to that state and it's very natural for bands to wane after their first album sometimes but um the the, the answer is not to completely get rid of everything that was was pure and and spark that reaction in people the answer is to do I don't know what the answer is necessarily, but maybe it, maybe it's just to hold the line. Maybe it's just to keep doing what you're doing, and even if it dips, it's going to come back up. I, I think it, it probably would have come back up for Big Country if they had maintained what they were doing, changed in the in changed for their own sake of changing. Um, you know, made changes based on what they wanted to do rather than what people like Dave Bates were telling them they needed to do. And I think that that caused that whole period of confusion in the band that really was very very difficult for them to get out of. Until they finally hit the Buffalo Skinners, and as great as that album was, you know it didn't it didn't completely turn their career around at that point. So anyway, I think I think we've seen that from these things that the big country experience with Dave Bates was certainly not an anomaly. And uh, sorry, Dave Bates, but none of this helps improve your standing in my book. <laughs> that was a rant, <laughs> a Christmas rant. Amazing. Amazing. But, uh, you know, uh, he should be allowed to defend himself. And that's exactly what he did in a piece in Record Collector that was written by our friend uh, Alan Glenn, I believe, which is titled The Great D. Bates, Dave Bates Answers His Critics. So uh, in uh, the interest of fairness, let's uh, let's look at that and what he has to say for himself, because uh, there are always two sides, even three sides to every story. So... Uh, Here's how he describes the making of the seer, then, in particular. It doesn't come into necessarily peace in our time, but uh, this is, I think, the same mindset that applies. And he says, our first thought was, how do we make them successful again? How do we get them back in the charts? The singles from Steel Town hadn't done that well, and the big hits had slowly dried up. As there were a lot of marketing games going on to get into the top 20, limited editions, unreleased tracks, stupid stuff like that. Oh yeah, so stupid. So stupid, that's what we like. Limited edition, unreleased tracks, stupid stuff. Come on. <laughs> and it still wasn't happening. Also, America seemed to be less interested in the band at that point too. They were constantly referred to as the bagpipe guitar band. It was a case of do we continue or do we let them go? At that point, I was having a lot of success in America and around the world with artists I was working with. So Alan and Ian asked me if I would get involved. So that is his first thing. He didn't push himself into this. He was asked by the management to uh, go in and take a role. So he continues, I really like Stuart. I met him when he played uh, with Skids. And I've known Robert Miller and admired a lot of his production work. Admittedly, what he'd done previously with Chardet and everything but the girl was some distance apart from Big Country, but he really wanted to work with the band, and he could arrange as well as produce. When you look at it on paper, it makes no sense at all, but at that time, we needed singles again. We needed success in this country and across Europe and in America. That was everyone's goal. 
there was a lot of pressure from the label at that point to get hits. That was very much an 80s thing, a time when people knew a band like U2. But as soon as they had the big hit, it was like, bam! Everybody was buying the album and flocking to see them. In those days, you had to be on top of the pops. It wasn't looking good financially for big country. If the finance and overall leadership of the Polygram Group had had their way, they would have been jettisoned. At that point, you were only as good as your next hit. So the pressure on everyone around the band was, you have to come up with something. People higher up in the chain within the label were looking down at number and saying, okay, the country have had hits for us in the past. What are they going to come up with next? It was all dependent on the seer being successful. And here comes the, the thing that we can debate till the cows come home. He says, in the end, it didn't really work out with Robin. <laughs> oh, there's no debate. That's uh, okay. But before we do that, he also says, when it came to mixing the album, I needed someone who was into guitars. I met Walter Turbitt. He was about the same age as the band, so I decided to take a bit of a gamble and bring him in to mix it. So um didn't really work with Robin. That, well, Robin was the one who gave the band the biggest hits. Exactly. That's how badly it worked. That's why there's no debate, because the biggest hit from that album was was the only track that Robin Miller completely mixed, which was Look Away. That was the yeah. biggest hit from the album. That proves how stupid he is. And does that sound like something that's not... You know, that's mixed by someone who has, knows nothing about guitars. I mean, that the, the song, the mix of Look Away is not that dissimilar in levels to the, the album version mixed by Walter Turbot. It just sounds better. It just yeah. sounds better. It's, it's more dry. It's more in your face. It's, it's more timeless. And, um, you know, it just, there's, so there's, there's no, no matter what he says, you can always bring back the fact that the first single, the first single from this album, Look Away, was mixed by Robin Miller, <laughs> and that was the Miller mix, the one surviving fragment of the Miller mix, and that was the biggest hit that the band ever had. Yeah, it's it's really ironic that Dave Bates' defense is that with his involvement and picking picking really the people who mixed it, they got the hits, when that isn't the case. I bet he doesn't even remember. I bet he doesn't even know when he's saying this that that's the case. I bet he thinks, <laughs> just stupidly thinks that... Uh, the Turbot mix must have been the single mix. He, he, yeah. he probably doesn't even know. No, <laughs> he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. But he summarizes it. He says a bit more. Um, there, there are many allegations around the making of this album, including who was or wasn't allowed to be around when it was mixed. But he summarizes it with, in the end, I think we were fortunate. We had four singles and a successful album. Everyone in the band and label was relieved. The country was suddenly up there again. It gave them an upsurge within the label and internationally. Well, it's interesting that he says four singles. We had four singles, and then in that All About Eve article, she says that they claimed they want four singles or we're not releasing the album. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you can see patterns. And I have one more story. And Dave Bates, uh, all of these examples that we've uh, mentioned so far are from the 80s. But he was working with uh, the label until uh, late 90s. I think uh, he was fired in 1998. This is confirmed by Lloyd Cole. Uh, he worked as the A&R man for Lloyd Cole, and uh, he confirmed he was fired when he was recounting his career on Twitter. And he even uh, posted a couple of interesting Twitters, like the last thing that he worked on with Dave Bates. Uh, it wasn't a good experience. And he said, my relationship with Universal Music had deteriorated to such an extent that when they declined 
to actually release the single they had insisted I write for the best of compilation they had insisted on releasing, I asked them to let me go. So <laughs> that just that is just shades of the Tears for Fears thing once again. That uh, they come in with their requirements. I'm going to say they. It's Dave Bates. He's he's the one. The as the A and R man, he's the one who says whether something is good enough or not. So doing what he says doesn't always please him. <laughs> Interestingly enough, yeah, but yeah, okay. that's uh, so that's uh, but but yeah. Looking at his defense and looking at all these uh, things, uh, you know, we want to be uh, f- fair. I mean, Bruce Watson, our, our very good friend of the show, says, well, in the end, Dave Bates was right. We did get hits. Yeah, they did. And and uh, I would just say that the biggest hit they got was the the hit produced by <laughs> mixed by Robin Miller. So would, would, would the teacher or, or any of the other tracks that were released as singles been any less of a hit if they had released the the Miller mix, judging by that um, success of, of the first single, I would say logic would dictate um, no. In fact, they they might even be more successful. Yeah, and, and my biggest point about this, and my biggest frustration with the whole thing, it goes back to the Kate Bush track. If they wanted a hit so bad, and yeah. they didn't even release a song that, that they could have had big featuring Kate Bush stickers on, I I don't understand it. I will never understand it. And even removing her from the song. And this came out the year after Hounds of Love. She was the shit. Okay? (laughs) She was the shit. And they don't even capitalize on having a a duet. That's insane. That that boggles my mind. Absolutely insane. Yeah. From any perspective. I can only only think that they thought, well, a song like The Seer just is not a hit. It's, It's such a folk type of song this is not anything that would be played on the radio but i don't know you yeah know, I, and uh and the, and the following year one of the biggest hits of the year was gary moore's over the hills and far away which is celtic tinged and uh you know it's the neighbor of this year the right. song so right. <laughs> make of that what you will the uh, dave bates so yeah that's uh that was our little christmas uh card to dave bates hopefully it finds him well yeah Great, great radar ears there, buddy. <laughs> Captain, we have a report that there's a sortie of garbage, a sortie of crap approaching. Quick, get Dave Bates to, to isolate it. Isolated source. Dave Bates will spot it with his crap radar ears. <laughs> he will get rid of it by releasing it as singles. <laughs> Send in the turbot. Send in the turbot to it, to it. Send in the turbot squadron to attack. All right. So we've talked about a lot of things here that you know when we when we first talked about doing the show, we, we neither Sly nor myself were really in the mood to do it. And we wondered what we would talk about. But there, there's always stuff to talk about in the land of big country. And there will be more stuff to talk about soon. And uh, I hope that, uh, you know, the, the idea that Tony's got something new coming is great. We've got a new Skids album coming. It's a covers album. And, but still, that should be really cool to hear. With a track by a track called New York Groove, which was recorded by Ace Fraley. Originally a song by the band Hello. So there's a Kiss connection that we would now have forever. 
which will make some of us happy with the band. But um, it sounds awesome. It does. It does. In fact, uh, Richard Jobson even mentioned Ace Frehley in that in that live stream of uh, of the Skids, which made made it seem like they had actually listened to that version almost more than the Hello version. Because I think he even said that <laughs> on that live stream, he said something about the Hello version was crap or or something along those lines. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So that that surprised me because I figured they wouldn't even possibly know about the Ace Frehley version. But anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, this has been a a tough year. It's been a tough year for all of us in many ways. Um, for the pandemic alone, it's been tough. And uh, others of us have, have had other issues. I lost my father not that long ago, as I record this, just over a week ago. He died from complications of COVID, believe it or not. He was almost 88 years old. He was not in good health, contracted it. So it wasn't like we were expecting him to live for many more years, but um, contracting the virus definitely hastened what was what was going to be coming at some point anyway. But um, yeah, not not to belabor that and my own personal loss because I know that this, I, as I've read things from many of you over the year, I know that some of you have, have also experienced your own loss of a parent. Over, over this year, or, or a loss of a loved one, or a loss of uh, a spouse, uh, a loss of a pet even, and, and that can be a huge thing in, in this time when we really need, you know, all the comfort we can get. Yeah. So, I, I just wanted to let everyone know that we're not trying to bring this show down to a sad level here, but we, we couldn't possibly not recognize the, the difficulty that we've all faced, and just know that we're with you, and we have nothing but the best thoughts for all of you. And uh, if you're someone out there who's hurting for some for some reason, for something that's happened or something you're worried about, a loss that you've suffered, I hope that you take some comfort in, in knowing that there are many of us who have suffered these types of things, too. And we understand. We understand the pain that you're feeling. And um, speaking for myself, I, I just you know, my heart goes out to everyone who's dealing with with these types of things. It's very tough. Every cliche applies, you know, it's, it's part of life. Time will heal all wounds. Hang in there. You know, I've heard all of them and I appreciate all of them, but they're, I guess they're cliches for a reason because in many respects they're true. So just know that we're thinking about everyone out there and, uh, we're all looking forward to putting this year behind us. We know that, we know that when the clock hits 2021, it's not going to magically mean that everything is immediately better. But the good thing about the new year is that it's always been a source for, for hope, for something new and good and something better to come. And uh, we don't know when that will be in 2021. We, we know here, especially with the pandemic in America, which is probably among the worst places in the world, uh, amazingly, for this pandemic. Just awful the way things have been handled here. But, um, you know, so we know that we're going to we're going to have a, a tougher time in in this winter it's going to be a hard winter to get through but uh there is light at the end of the tunnel hopefully and uh there's always the light of this bond of music and and big country that's that's always there for us and um times like this it, it means more than ever so uh glad you're all here with us and i personally appreciate all the kind words that that people have given me with the passing of my father he was he was a wonderful wonderful man he was uh, a guy who I, I just really 
try to live up to his his example by many things that he taught me. He was, he was not a guy that was really into music, which is interesting. He, he I never I didn't get any of my musical interests from him. He he uh I do remember him occasionally like sitting down at a piano and playing a version of Silent Night that he probably learned as a kid that never totally went away from his mind. Um but uh he was not a big music fan. He was a, a guy who loved the the big band era of music because that's when he grew up. He loved uh Glenn Miller type stuff from the World War II era. He was just a kid during that time, but he never understood my interest in, you know, heavy metal and and guitar, and then eventually bands like Big Country. But he always supported it, and that's that's one thing I really appreciated about him. Um, of many things, he always supported it and uh, bought me my first guitar. And and um, yeah, so it, it's a tough loss. And um, yeah. I just wanted to share. I I remember you told me a story about your dad, that kind of said everything about him, and especially tying into what you just said now, that he didn't understand heavy metal and stuff, but he supported it. Uh, I remember in 1978, you told me how you went to the record store, and that was the day that all members of Kiss released solo <laughs> albums on the same day, which was a lot of pocket money for you know a young kid, yeah. and uh, which one to pick. That was the The, you know the choice everybody had which one to get of the four and he got you all four of them <laughs> he did and that that's a, uh, that's a very sweet thing to do so and he probably looked at it and said Ugh. but he still got it for you he, so, he did and I, yeah. I remember how excited we were and he said man I, I remember him saying in the car like I, I wish you guys would get this excited over the other things <laughs> And don't we hope for the same for our kids? We we would love for them to to be as interested in the things we like as uh, you know as we are, but that never happens. As I said earlier, I don't I don't want to make this you know all about my dad, but I I did want to share one other story about him related to this that just popped into my head because yeah. uh, I don't know if this if this is something I've told you in the past or not, but it's probably my favorite story of, of related to music among him and with him and I'll try to be brief about this but back in 1987 for me U2 I mean Big Country was huge with me but U2 I was obsessed with and um had the chance to see them on the Joshua Tree tour with a girl I was seeing at the time and we bought tickets to see them at uh RFK Stadium and it was part of this bus trip that turned out to be kind of a scam but it was you bought a ticket and that got you a ticket to the show but it also got you a ticket on this bus that would drive you to the show and then drive you back and for us that was about an hour and a half drive each way so we got the tickets and i was counting down the days to be able to go with my girlfriend to see you two Joshua Tree tour at RFK stadium and the day of the show we got a call saying that uh, I think it was uh, – it might have been a robocall. I can't remember. But it was a, basically a call that said this company had originally booked three buses to go to this show. And because they had overbooked or some stupid thing that they had done, they now could only take one bus. And that meant that tons of people who had already bought tickets would not be able to go to the show. And they said if your name is not on this list that we're going to release, that means your ticket is no longer uh, – valid for this show and uh our name was not on the list and i was devastated by this i wanted to see this concert so badly and the the bus was was scheduled to take off and to go somewhere or, or to go to rfk stadium from a particular location that was nearby so my dad said all right come on get in the car we're going to go out to where this bus is leaving and we're going to see what we could do 
And again, he had no concept of U2 or any of this. He just knew how much this meant to me. And um, so we went to the place where the bus was was going to leave, and there was pandemonium. All these people had descended whose names were not on that list, and they were just furious. They were they were angry. There was one bus there. There were crowds of people who should have been on three buses. They were surrounding the bus. They were just yelling and screaming. Apparently, the person who was the promoter of the event had skipped off. He was gone. He was not anywhere to be found. <laughs> so there was nothing to be done except the, the bus driver and someone else who was, I guess, part of the security of this event. They had that list in front of them, and they said, look, we're sorry. You're going to have to figure all this out later. This is the list of people that can go on this con- go to this concert, and if your name's not on this list, you cannot get on this bus. And they started to read off the names of the people on this list. I already knew that we weren't on it. So the guy read out a, a name of two people, and he was reading out names, and when he would read out the name, then the people would run and get on the bus. So he read out these, these two names, and there was no reply. There was no answer. And he said um, – he, he repeated them, the, the names. He said, are, are you here? Are you here? Your name is on this list. If you're here, you need to get on this bus right now. Well, my dad was standing right there, and he jumped in immediately. He said to this guy, he said, uh, look, these people aren't here. They're not answering. My son and his girlfriend want to go on this trip so bad. Can they take their spots? <laughs> <laughs> and he ba- the guy was so flustered and so um, so you know scared really because of all the people. That he said, all right, just go, just go. And so myself and my girlfriend got on the bus, and we sat on the bus for like the next 30, 40 minutes while people literally surrounded the bus, refusing to let it leave. <laughs> they stood in front of the bus, and I'll never forget the bus driver saying, these people better leave because if they don't, I'm going to I'm gonna go anyway. <laughs> so we sat on this bus like in, in total fear, waiting at any moment for someone to come on and say, hey, you can't be on this bus. Get off. But 30 minutes or so passed. Finally, the people dispersed, and the bus took off, and we made it to the show, and we saw the concert. It was an incredible concert. It happened to be the one where Bono tripped and slipped on the stage and broke his shoulder, which appeared later in the Rattle and the Hum movie. Um, mm. It was an amazing experience, and that would have never happened without my dad fighting for us and, and stepping in there and getting us on that bus. So I know a lot of people hear that story, and maybe you, I hope you appreciate that story. I know it's you're not going to relate to it as far as – my dad goes and thanks for bearing with me it makes me feel better to tell that story but uh yeah so that that was that was the kind of guy he was and um yeah it's going to be a tough tough christmas without him around but um there are yeah. wonderful things to celebrate about his life so that's what we're trying to do so and i, I know you've you've dealt with your own issues this year too it's fine and <laughs> same goes for you man I, I'm, you, you started by saying um we we got to the Yuletide. I think barely we got to the Yuletide. I think, to be honest, we almost didn't do it. And uh, the only reason we're doing it is because you talked me into doing it, which is kind of putting everything on the head because I'm normally the guy who reach out to you and say, okay, when do we do it? And we end up doing it. It's not like I have to talk you too much into it once we started doing them. Um, but uh, this year I didn't want to do one. And uh, that's... For for many reasons, uh, I think now as we sit here on the twenty third, I'm I'm feeling more of a Christmas spirit, and we're getting ready, and it's uh, it's kind of a unique Christmas for a lot of reasons. Uh, one thing is, the first Christmas ever, I'm not going to see my parents. Uh, we're celebrating on our own, for for reasons you know related to 2020, uh, but primarily I've just kind of been 
and I think since the summer when I was called in the middle of my summer vacation to be told I don't have a job anymore. So uh, I've been unemployed for six months, not doing anything, trying to look around, not even feeling like looking around. And uh, that's not a fate that I'm alone in having. So many people go through this this year, right? It's it, something that uh, it's it's the year <laughs> for people yep. to, to encounter these things. And, uh, you know, that that is fine. Everything has an, an end. It was kind of my entire team went. So it wasn't like personal. It wasn't like me. It was like 300 people worldwide. Uh, that team went away. So uh, that that's kind of sad. You... Um, Losing a job is one thing, but when you work in an international team virtually with people, every time we got together, we, we kind of said goodbye because we know that when someone left the team, we, we wouldn't have like a chance to get together for a goodbye sort of drinks or whatever. And that's exactly what happened now. So at mm-hmm. least thanks to uh, sort of keeping in touch online, we, we could at least uh, send messages of support to each other. But uh, in the middle of pandemic, it's not like there's – this is not where people hire the most. There's not like tons of things out there. And uh, at the same time, everybody's looking for something. So I'll be more active on that after Christmas. Now I'm going to enjoy Christmas, which always brings me up. I'm, I'm a total Christmas person. So I always look forward to it and normally look forward to Yuletide, but I'm snapping more out of it now. And um, we'll see how the post Christmas funk goes. So that's always something that hits me in the best of years. And oh, I have yeah. to listen to Tony Butler's uh, When the Trees Come Down. Because I hear that song and feel that someone understands me. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes this time. But uh, yeah, I've been having to snap out of it. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll miss my parents too. But at least I'll have the chance to hopefully see them later during better times. So yes. Yes. we'll see how that goes. But uh, it's like you said, we made it to the Yuletide. But we're we're both a bit battered right now from things that are going on. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word, battered. Um, yeah, without a doubt. I tried to make up for it in a lot of ways. I put more lights up this year than I've ever put up in ever. It took me <laughs> literally two days to put all the lights up in our in our house, outside our house. Oh man, so that was fun. But uh, yeah, it's it's tough. But you know, we're, I'm glad we did this. That's just the same. And um, yeah, we still have we still have a little more gas in the tank for this show. <laughs> I, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well. We, we will end people with something more amusing than, uh, you know, our sad stories, which basically, you know, it, it could be worse. Man, every, every, everybody shares this. And I'm kind of feeling it, it's kind of apt because the music of the band that we all listen to are full of stories like this. It's stories about life and stories about things that go wrong or there's there's a dark cloud with a silver lining or yep. or, the, or the opposite. We, we see examples of this all the time. So it's uh, that's kind of the reality we delve in. That's the music we're drawn to. And these are the stories from everybody's life that we all share in. So this is therapeutic. So I, I'll join in with Tom's thanks for bearing with me and uh, that's all we can do at this point but we'll leave you on something more amusing and this is because we forgot about it when we did the crossing deep dive and (laughs) it was Tom who found it he actually found it while searching for Pearl Man on uh, John's site this is revealing the extent of his research when we go into those things but he actually came up with one thing that he told us about and said oh we have to dig up this when we talk about Pearl Man and we didn't how did we forget? We, did, we totally forgot about it. But, uh, you know, now it's a Yuletide and anything goes. So what we have here is the music for a computer game 
programmed for Commodore 64 uh, in the 80s. And uh, I look at the description that I found online because I've never played this game, but I've seen the video of it, which features this music. It's an overlooked Arkanoid clone with some sweet music that was released by Argus Specialist Publications Limited and Commodore Disk User. And it uh, it features the music from Power Man. <laughs> they ripped off Big Country. Uh, <laughs> they, they took basically the Power Man thing and made a MIDI-type uh, soundtrack which features Power Man. And uh, I, I don't know. It, uh, I, glorious. I, I, I clicked the video link when you shared it and I listened to it and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's one of those things, out-of-body experiences. But first of all, they clearly stole it. <laughs> Second of all, it's very cool. And third of all, you're all going to hear it now. So with this music, do you want to say anything about it yourself, perhaps, as the guy who found it? Gosh, I, I, can't, I, can, I, I can't remember <laughs> many of the details around it. I don't know why. It's like a mental block. But yeah, yeah so th- th- this is, this is uh, simply glorious. And they, they admit that this was uh, obviously stolen. From the country, or, or <laughs> and I don't even want to say stolen. It's a, it's a wonderful tribute to Pearl Man. Yeah, that, that that's a much better way of looking at it because I doubt they made any you know cash on this themselves. It was freeware. But I did find a quote from the guy who do, who um, who did it. It was his his name is Steve Maloney, and uh, he commented on it because someone posted the video on uh, YouTube and he uh, he thought it was a fine blast from the past. So this is just a few years ago where he said. The music was adapted by myself. It is a version of Power Man by Big Country. It sounded slightly better on the CMB64. There are a few glitches here, but it's pretty faithful. And then he goes on to talk about how they programmed the scrolling background and uh, the color choices, which are pretty appalling and uh, things like that. But uh, yeah, that's uh, it's, there, there's no doubt where he took it from. <laughs> It takes me back to some very good Christmas memories of Commodore 64 games and in television yeah. games and uh, yeah, the early generation of video games. <laughs> some of my best Christmases ever. Oh yeah. The MIDI MIDI to me is is a sound that conjures those memories. Nice. All right, so here you go, people. The MIDI version of Pearl Man by uh, Steve Maloney from the game. I don't. I'm not sure we told the game title. It's called Blast Ball. <laughs> oh yes, we did. So that's good. Blast ball. Yeah, yes. Blast ball. The theme from Blast Ball, based on Big Country's Power Man. Here you go. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.
That's all I have. That's all. That's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and this and is I've, good. This is all great. And I've done and nothing. I, yeah, and you've done nothing. <laughs> and we've already talked for over a half hour about what we're planning to do on this, this short show. Yeah. So let's I, let's just jump into it because I I I gotta I gotta get this done. Yeah. Within less than three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Man, jeez, no, that that's I, that's not. I happening. still have, I still have presents to create. To create, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually building, I'm actually building a PC for my son. Oh wow! Why don't you just I'm give on... him all the pieces and call it a building set? <sighs> he wouldn't be able to build it right now. No, but you could uh, have a father-son building moment during Christmas. Yeah, me cursing and and screaming and yelling, which is what I've been doing the whole time. I've been building uh, this thing. That's what we have this podcast for, so you can get that out of your system. <laughs> oh man! Let me see if I got that right. I don't think I got that right. There's a there's a clip for the uh, for the end. I want that in there. Oh, there will be plenty of those clips. <laughs> 
I just need to understand my own notes. This is this is what happens when I wrote them two months ago, and I prioritized cleaning the toilet, other than reading these notes before I sat down with you. <laughs> now there's a clip for the end of the show. The last <laughs> last thing I saw before I stare at your Skype avatar was the depths of the Yurtag toilet. <laughs> Yeah, all you need is to have a song featured on a TV show. And then hordes of millennials hear the song for the first time and flock to it. And, right. it's a... <laughs> and even even your favorite, Ario Speedwagon, got into the charts with uh, Time for Me to Fly. Ugh. Fly or die? Fly. Fly, okay. Yeah. Dying is what you do when you hear that song. <laughs> uh, there are actually many worse Ario Speedwagon songs than that. There are. It was kind of the first of their huge ballads. I, I don't hate Ario Speedwagon. I, I I sometimes get them confused mentally in my head with Air Supply. I don't know why, but uh, Air Supply. Yeah, I, I don't know. Things. It's strange. But um, yeah, that yeah. that my hatred. Most of my hatred is reserved for Air Supply. <laughs> the spill's over. Most most of my hatred in general in life, period, is is reserved for Air Supply. So man. I would. Uh, th- this is a fascinating topic, but I think we're on a, one of our tangents. And we said to begin with, this is going to be a normal-sized episode. So rein in your <laughs> hatred, and let's move on. Yeah, let's 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 pick up the pace. Let's go. So, uh, incidentally, did you go and check out the PJ Harvey article yet? No, I didn't even know you put one up. That you requested the last time we spoke. Yeah, uh, you did one. I sure did. I didn't even see it. <laughs> I didn't even see it come up. Holy crap! Yeah, it excites me. I'm gonna go do it. And when I posted it on uh, on the Facebook, I got some people saying, "Oh, inspired by Mr. TK on episode 91." <laughs> so, yeah, there, holy there crap! You go. I, I I had no idea. I, I'll go check it out. I'm sorry. I I I don't see I don't see notifications for for, for the site. In fact, this is a problem yeah. with with me on Facebook for many people. I, I never see what my wife posts, for example. She's always saying, did you see my post? And I, I, I never see <laughs> notifications. This and is I, uncanny. It's, it's like, it's like this, it's the exact discussions we were having here. I never see Jen's posts. That's, that's so funny. And so, yeah. yeah, that's strange. I don't understand it. You know, and I've checked everything. I've checked every possible setting and I never see anything she posts. And I don't Man. see your I don't see your Rocket in the Northlands notifications when that something new pops up. Yeah. You know, so you know, I wouldn't have known about the the marriage one being released if you hadn't put it on the Great Divide. So Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh th- that excites me. I'll go check that out. Is this the end of the show? Yeah, say something if you okay, like. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> Okay, guys, one thing left here for the Yuletide show. Um, my sister used to record my dad in the last couple years of his life randomly giving his life advice. He used to be a pastor, and he was always really good with life advice. So um, I hope you don't mind, but I have just a very quick 60-second clip of my dad from maybe a year ago giving some general life advice that I think uh, I think fits this time of year. And I know he would be thrilled if he thought that his words – we're once again being heard by a group of strangers, and maybe someone would be uh, encouraged by these words. So with that, here's my dad giving some very general 
but very good life advice that I hope you get something out of. Merry Christmas. Always look for a way to help somebody who seems to be having problems and maybe a little lost. Somebody needs an encouragement. And you you would be called an encourager. A person who tries to know a little more about their friends and what they need and what 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 ways you could help them and offer a, a word of advice and always look for the best in the people you deal with and call out the things that are ter- making you feel good around them and explain it to them and chances are they might take that to heart and make it a part of their regular life. That's always a good thing to do. Amen.